chapter eight of the conquest of new france this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the conquest of new france by george wrong chapter eight the victories of montcalm in france's last most determined and most tragic struggle for north america the noblest aspect is typified in the figure of montcalm the circle of the king and his mistress at versailles does not tell the whole story of france at this time no doubt madame de pompadour made and unmade ministers but behind the ministers was the great administrative system of france with servants alert and efficient and now chiefly occupied with military plans to defeat the great frederick of prussia at the same time the intellect of france was busy with problems of science and was soon to express itself in the massive volumes of diderot's encyclopedia the soldiers of france were preparing to fight on many battlefields the best of them took little part in the debilitating pleasures of versailles louis joseph marquis de montcalm was a member of the ancient nobility of languedoc in the south of france he was a scholar a soldier and a landowner he could write a latin inscription fight a battle and manage a farm all with excellence his was a fruitful race his wife had borne him ten children of whom six had survived he was sincerely religious a family man enjoying quiet evenings at home in his career as no doubt in that of many other french leaders of the time we find no lurid lights no gay scenes at court nothing but simple and laborious devotion to duty though a grand seigneur montcalm was poor his letters show that his mind was always much occupied with family affairs the need of economy the careers of his sons his mill his plantations he showed the minute care in management which the french practised better than the english in seventeen fifty six he was forty-four years of age a soldier who had campaigned in germany bohemia and italy had known victory and defeat had been a prisoner in the hands of the austrians and had made a reputation as a man fit to lead he lived far from court and went to paris only rarely it was this quiet man who on january thirty one seventeen fifty six was summoned to paris to head the military force about to be sent to canada d'escaut was a captive in english hands and montcalm was to replace d'escaut thus began that connection of montcalm with canada which was destined three or four years later to bring to him first victory and then defeat death and undying fame on receiving his appointment he went to paris thanked the king in person for the honor done him and was delighted that his son a mere boy was given the rank and pay of a colonel one of the few abuses of court favor which we find in his career on march twenty sixth seventeen fifty six montcalm embarked at brest with his staff war had not yet been declared but already britain had captured some three hundred french merchant ships had taken prisoner nearly ten thousand french sailors and was sweeping from the sea the fleets of france owing to the fear of british 
cruisers the voyage of montcalm had its excitements as usual however france was earlier in the field than britain who had in april no force ready for america which could intercept montcalm the storms were heavy and on easter day when mass was celebrated a sailor firm on his feet had to hold the chalice of the officiating priest on board there were daily prayers and always the service ended with cries of god save the king some of the officers on board were destined to survive to a new era in france when there should be no more a king montcalm had with him a capable staff and a goodly number of young officers gay debonair thinking not of great political designs about america but chiefly of their own future careers in france and facing death light-heartedly enough next to montcalm in command was the chevalier de levis a member of a great french family and himself destined to attain the high rank of marshal of france and a capable though not a brilliant soldier whose chief gift was tact and the art of managing men third in command was the chevalier de boulamac a quiet reserved man with no striking social gifts and in consequence not likely at first to make a good impression though montcalm who was at the beginning a little doubtful of his quality came in the end to rely upon him fully the most brilliant man in that company was the young colonel de bougainville montcalm's chief aide-de-camp though only twenty-seven years old he was already famous in the world of science and was destined to be still more famous as a great navigator to live through the whole period of the french revolution and to die only on the eve of the fall of napoleon in seventeen fifty six he was too young and clever to be always prudent in speech it is from his quick eye and eager pen that we learn much of the inner story of these last days of new france montcalm discusses frankly in his letters these and other officers with whom he was on the whole well pleased in his heart he could echo the words of bougainville as he watched the brilliant spectacle of the embarkation at brest what a nation is ours happy is he who leads and is worthy of it it was in this spirit of confidence that montcalm faced the struggle in america for him sad days were to come and his sunny vivacious southern temperament caused him to suffer keenly at first however all was full of brilliant promise so eager was he that when his ships lay becalmed in the st lawrence some thirty miles below quebec he landed and drove to the city it is the most beautiful country in the world he writes highly cultivated with many houses the peasants living more like the lesser gentry of france than like peasants and speaking excellent french he found the hospitality in quebec such that a parisian would be surprised at the profusion of good things of every kind the city was he thought like the best type of the cities of france the canadian climate was health-giving the sky clear the summer not unlike that of languedoc but the winter trying since the severe weather caused the inhabitants to remain too much indoors he described the canadian ladies as witty lively devout those of quebec amusing themselves at play sometimes for high stakes those of montreal with conversation and dancing he confessed that one of them proved a little too fascinating for his own peace of mind the intolerable thing was the need to meet and pay court to the indians whom the governor the marquis de vaudreuil 
regarded as valuable allies these savages brutal changeable exacting montcalm from the first despised it filled him with disgust to see them swarming in the streets of montreal sometimes carrying bows and arrows their coarse features worse disfigured by war paint and a gaudy headdress of feathers their heads shaven with the exception of one long scalp-lock their gleaming bodies nearly naked or draped with dirty buffalo or beaver skins what allies for a refined grand seigneur of france it was a costly burden to feed them sometimes they made howling demands for brandy and for bouillon by which they meant human blood many of them were cannibals once montcalm had to give some of them at his own cost a feast of three oxen roasted whole to his disgust they gorged themselves and danced round the room shouting their savage war cries the governor of canada pierre de rigaud marquis de vaudreuil belonged to one of the most ancient families of france related to that of levy he had been born in canada where his father was governor for the long period of twenty-two years from seventeen o three to seventeen twenty five and in his outlook and prejudices he was wholly of new france with a passionate devotion to its people and a deep resentment at any airs of superiority assumed by those who came from old france a certain admiration is due to vaudreuil for his championship of the canadians and even of the savages of the land of his birth against officers of his own rank and caste who came from france there was in canada the eternal cleavage in outlook and manners between the old world and the new which is found in equal strength in new england and which was one of the chief factors in causing the american revolution vaudreuil born at quebec in sixteen ninety eight had climbed the official ladder step by step until in seventeen forty two he had been made governor of louisiana a post he held for three years he succeeded the marquis duquesne as governor of canada in the year before montcalm arrived he meant well but he was a vain man always a leading figure in the small society about him and obsessed by fussy self-importance he was not clever enough to see through flattery the intendant bigot next to the governor the most important man in canada an able and corrupt rascal knew how to manage the governor and to impose his own will upon the weaker man vaudreuil and his wife between them had a swarm of needy relatives in canada and these and other canadians who sought favors from the governor helped to sharpen his antagonism to the officers from france vaudreuil believed himself a military genius it was he and not montcalm who had the supreme military command and he regarded as an unnecessary intruder this general officer sent out from france now that montcalm was come vaudreuil showed a malignant alertness born of jealousy to snub and check him outward courtesies were of course maintained vaudreuil could be bland and montcalm restrained in spite of his southern temperament but their dispatches showed the bitterness in their relations the court of france encouraged not merely the leaders but even officers in subordinate posts to communicate to it their views a voluble correspondence about affairs in canada has been preserved vaudreuil himself must have tried the patience of the french ministers for he wrote at prodigious length exalting his own achievements to the point of being ludicrous at the same time he belittled everything done by montcalm complained that he was ruining the french cause in america hinted that he was in league with corrupt elements in canada and in the end even went so far as to request his recall 
in order that the more pliant levy might be put in his place the letters of montcalm are more reserved unlike vaudreuil he never stooped to falsehood he knew that he was under the orders of the governor and he accepted the situation when operations were on hand vaudreuil would give montcalm instructions so ambiguous that if he failed he would be sure to get the discredit while if he succeeded to vaudreuil would belong the glory war is at best a cruel business in europe its predatory barbarity was passing away and there the lives of prisoners and of women and children were now being respected montcalm had been reared under this more civilized code and he and his officers were shocked by what vaudreuil regarded as normal and proper warfare in seventeen fifty six the french had a horde of about two thousand savages who had flocked to montreal from points as far distant as the great plains of the west they numbered more than thirty separate tribes or nations as in their pride they called themselves and each nation had to be humoured and treated as an equal for they were not in the service of france but were her allies they expected to be consulted before plans of campaign were completed the defeat of braddock in seventeen fifty five had made them turn to the prosperous cause of france vaudreuil gave them what they hardly required encouragement to wage war in their own way the more brutal and ruthless the war on the english he said the more quickly would their enemies desire the kind of peace that france must have the result was that the western frontiers of the english colonies became a hell of ruthless massacre the savages attacked english settlements whenever they found them undefended a pioneer might go forth in the morning to his labor and return in the evening to find his house in ashes and his wife and children lying dead with the scalps torn from their heads as trophies of savage prowess for years until the english gained the upper hand over the french this awful massacre went on hundreds of women and children perished vaudreuil reported with pride to the french court the number of scalps taken and in his annals such incidents were written down as victories he warned montcalm that he must not be too strict with the savages or some day they would take themselves off and possibly go over to the english and leave the french without indispensable allies he complained with a lofty tone of the french regular officers towards both indians and canadians and assured the french court that it was only his own tact which prevented an open breach canada lay exposed to attack by three routes by lake ontario by lake champlain and by the st lawrence in the sea it was vital to control the route to the west by lake ontario vital to keep the english from invading canada by way of lake champlain vital to guard the st lawrence and keep open communications with france montcalm first directed his attention to lake ontario oswego lying on the south shore was a fort much prized by the english as a base from which they could attack the french fort frontenac on the north side of the lake and cut off canada from the west if the english could do this they would redeem the failure of braddock and possibly turn the indians from a french to an english alliance the french in turn were resolved to capture and destroy oswego in the summer of seventeen fifty six they were busy drawing up papers and instructions for the attack montcalm wrote to his wife that he had never before worked so hard he kept every one busy his aide-de-camp his staff and his secretaries no detail was too minute for his observation he regulated the changes of clothes which the officers might carry with them he inspected hospitals stores and food and he even ordered an alteration in the method of making bread he reorganized the canadian battalions and in every quarter stirred up new activity he was strict about granting leave of absence sometimes as working day endured for twenty hours to bed at midnight and up again at four o'clock in the morning he went with levy to lake champlain to see with his own eyes what was going on there 
then he turned back to montreal the discipline among the canadian troops was poor and he stiffened it thereby naturally causing great offence to those who liked slack ways and hated to take trouble about sanitation and equipment he held interminable conferences with his indian allies they were astonished to find that the great soldier of whom they had heard so much was so small in stature but they noted the fire in his eye he despised their methods of warfare and notes with a touch of irony that while every other barbarity continues the burning of prisoners at the stake has rather gone out of fashion though the savages recently burned an englishwoman and her son merely to keep in practice montcalm made his plan secretly and struck suddenly in the middle of august seventeen fifty six he surprised and captured oswego and took more than sixteen hundred prisoners of these in spite of all that he could do his indians murdered some the blow was deadly the english lost vast stores and now the french controlled the whole region of the great lakes the indians were on the side of the rising power more heartily than ever and the unhappy frontier of the english colonies was so harried that murderous savages ventured almost to the outskirts of philadelphia montcalm caused a te deum to be sung on the scene of his victory at oswego in august he was back in montreal where again was sung another joyous te deum he wrote letters in high praise of some of his officers especially the bour le mac and la pause the last in un homme de vin some of the canadian officers praised by Audrey, he had tried and found wanting don't forget he wrote to levy that mercier is a feeble ignoramus st luc a prattling boaster montigny excellent but a drunkard the others are not worth speaking of including my first lieutenant-general rigaud this rigaud was the brother of Audrey. when the governor wrote to the minister he for his part said that the success of the expedition was wholly due to his own vigilance and firmness aided chiefly by this brother mon frere and a mercier both of whom montcalm describes as inept for Drieux adds that only his own tact kept the indian allies from going home because montcalm would not let them have the plunder which they desired montcalm struck his next blow at the english on lake champlain in july seventeen fifty seven he had eight thousand men at ticonderoga at the northern end of lake george two thousand of these were savages drawn from more than forty different tribes a lawless horde whom the french could not control a jesuit priest saw a party of them squatting round a fire in the french camp roasting meat on the end of sticks and found that the meat was the flesh of an englishman english prisoners sick with horror were forced to watch this feast the priest's protest was dismissed with anger the savages would follow their own customs let the french follow theirs the truth is that the french had been only too successful in drawing the savages to them as allies they formed now one quarter of the whole french army they were of little use as fighters and probably in the long run the french would have been better off without them if however montcalm had caused them to go vaudreuil would have made frantic protests so that montcalm accepted the necessity of such allies each success however brought some new horrors at the hands of the indians montcalm captured fort william henry at the southern end of lake george in august a year after the taking of oswego fort william henry was the most advanced english post in the direction of canada the place had been left weak for the earl of loudon commander-in-chief of the british forces in america was using his resources for an expedition against louisbourg which wholly failed colonel munro the brave officer in command at fort william henry made a strong defence but was forced to surrender the terms were that he should march out with his soldiers and the civilians of the place and should be escorted in safety to fort edward about eighteen miles to the south this time the savages surpassed themselves in treachery and savagery they had formally approved of the terms of surrender but they 
attacked the long line of defeated english as they sat out on the march butchered some of their wounded and seized hundreds of others as prisoners montcalm did what he could and even risked his life to check the savages but some fifty english lay dead and the whole savage horde decamped for montreal carrying with them two hundred prisoners montcalm burned fort william henry and withdrew to ticonderoga at the north end of the lake why asked vaudouille had he not advanced further south into english territory taken fort edward weak because the english were in a panic menaced albany itself and advanced even to new york montcalm's answer was that fort edward was still strong that he had no transport except the backs of his men to take cannon eighteen miles by land in order to batter its walls and that his indians had left him moreover he had been instructed to hasten his operations and allow his canadians to go home to gather the ripening harvest so that canada might not starve during the coming winter vaudreuil pressed at the french court his charges against montcalm and without doubt produced some effect french tact was never exhibited with more grace than in the letters which montcalm received from his superiors in france urging upon him with suave courtesy the need of considering the sensitive pride of the colonial forces and of guiding with a light rein the barbaric might of the indian allies it is hard to imagine an english secretary of state administering a rebuke so gently and yet so unmistakably montcalm well understood what was meant he knew that some intrigue had been working at court but he did not suspect that the governor himself all blandness and compliments to his face was writing to paris voluminous attacks on his character and conduct in the next summer seventeen fifty eight montcalm won another great success he lay with his forces at ticonderoga the english were determined to press into the heart of canada by way of lake champlain all through the winter after the fall of fort william henry they had been making preparations on a great scale at albany by this time amherst and wolfe were on the scene in america and they spent the summer in an attack on louisbourg which resulted in the fall of the fortress on the old fighting ground of lake champlain and lake george the english were this year making military efforts such as the canadian frontier had never before seen william pitt who now directed the war from london had demanded that the colonies should raise twenty thousand men a number well fitted to dismay the timid legislators of new york and pennsylvania at albany fifteen thousand men came marching in by detachments a few of them regulars but most of them colonial militia who as soon as winter came on would scatter to their homes the leader was general abercrombie a leader needless to say with good connections in england but with no other qualification for high command on july five seventeen fifty eight there was a sight on lake george likely to cause a flutter of anxiety in the heart of montcalm at ticonderoga in a line of boats six miles long the great english host came down the lake and early on the morning of the sixth landed before the fort which montcalm was to defend the soul of the army had been a brilliant young officer lord howe who shared the hardships of the men washed his own linen at the brook and was the real leader trusted by the inept abercrombie it was a tragic disaster for the british that at the outset of the fight howe was killed in a chance skirmish montcalm's chief defence of ticonderoga consisted in a felled forest he had cut down hundreds of trees and on high ground in front of the fort made a formidable abattis across which the english must advance abercrombie had four men to one of montcalm artillery would have knocked a passage through the trunks of the trees which formed the abattis abercrombie however did not wait to bring up artillery he was confident that his huge force could beat down opposition by a rapid attack and he made the attack with all courage and persistence but the troops could not work through the thicket of fallen trunks and as night came on they had to withdraw baffled next day lake george saw another strange spectacle 
a british army of thirteen thousand men the finest ever seen hitherto in america retreating in a panic with no enemy in pursuit nearly two thousand english had fallen while montcalm's loss was less than four hundred he planted a great cross on the scene of the fight with an inscription in latin that it was god who had wrought the victory all canada had a brief period of rejoicing before the gloom of final defeat settled down upon the country End of chapter eight